This episode of Fargo Talks Fargo is brought to you by Cora. Focus, practice, sleep, repeat. Cora is the best app for elevating your mindful practice and is an all-encompassing solution for fostering mental awareness, improving focus, and promoting restful sleep, making it an invaluable tool for holistic well-being. Visit Cora.co, that's K-A-U-R-A.co for more information. And now, Fargo Talks Fargo. Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, a podcast on the FX television series Fargo. I'm Bill, and I am back again with my buddy Sharpie to talk about something special. Sharpie, what's up? Yeah, it's a postseason bonus show. My favorites. We always tend to go musical at the uh, end of our show openers. Maybe it's just that we've developed our own musical sensibility between our relationship. <laughs> yeah. Well, this week, Jeff Russo returns for his third appearance on Fargo Talks Fargo, and he's got some good stuff for you, I'm sure. Yeah, we usually don't kind of record these intros to our stuff, but we just wanted to make sure we were real conscious and got all the meaty stuff in our interview with Jeff. But uh, I will say this, I- I've been kind of missing you, Sharpie. Oh, yeah? That's yeah, so nice, like, Bill. This is our mini hot dish before the actual on entree of Jeff. No, this is fantastic. We are able to do this. And uh, thanks again to all the listeners who've been dropping us a few other notes. We shortly after Sharpie and I recorded the last episode about season five, episode 10, I got like horribly ill with influenza and then I've been traveling and stuff. But uh, we look forward to bringing you this special episode. Uh, as always, stay tuned into this. We might have another one of these coming up. You never know. Sometimes people answer our emails and set us up with stuff. So tasty treats. Yeah. Oh, Sharpie. Have you, I mean, we'll talk about it later, but um, I got a recipe for chili with Bisquick. So I, I feel like we should maybe make it and do a special hot dish episode that maybe we'll put on social somewhere for people to. Yeah, we'll film video. We'll do our own like <laughs> tasty. Yeah, we'll do our own tasting table. But uh, without further ado, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll toss you into an interview with Jeff Russo, composer for the television series Fargo. Well, here we are, uh, Jeff. Thank you so much, Jeff Russo, for joining us on Fargo Talks Fargo, the 10-year podcast Sharpie and I started that we never thought would last 10 years. <laughs> it's true. And you were very gracious in season one to visit with us. And uh, here you are back in season five. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, you know, every 10, we should do this once every 10 years, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Some of our listeners will know that there was uh, an appearance by you in season two as well when we were in a, a long conversation with Maggie and she, I feel like she somehow digitally accosted you and had us like <laughs> add you to that conversation as well. That was in... It's very possible. That was back in December of 2015. So whew, yep. it's been quite a ride though. Yeah, it has been. It's been an interesting set of you know stories and the fact that we continue to tell these stories is really pretty amazing. Thanks for spending your time with us today. I don't know how you have any time since we last talked. You've done like a thousand projects. I mean, season five just ended for us on Fargo Talks Fargo, but uh, work has definitely not ended for you. You've been busy with shows like For All Mankind. Uh, You had Love and Death come out last year, Star Trek, Snowfall, Man Who Fell to Earth. (laughs) I mean, the list goes on and on. There's like two dozen shows here you've worked on since we've last talked. I don't know. Like, how do you find the time to work on these? You know, I, it's all about time management, right? It's all about having to figure out like how I can put my time to the best use. Um, you know, and I always find that the the best use of my time is to sit and write, just write music. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I 
can delegate to assistants and, and editors and stuff, which makes my my time um, my gives me the ability to focus only on the on the, what I consider to be the most important thing, which is writing the music and figuring out where it's going to go to picture. So that's how I'm able to fig, you know, to have the time. It's like just being able to figure out what my best, what the best use of my time is going to be. That's, that's the way I do it. A lot of um, professionals don't end up watching their own like final work. Like actors don't watch their movies or their TV shows. And how is that for you? Do you end up going back and seeing everything like in its final form? Not, not all, not every time, not, every project. Um, sure. I, I would say sometimes I don't have time to do that. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't need to see that again. Um, you know, because you know, that's definitely, I'm going to turn off the, <laughs> yeah, it just gets old. It gets, oh, I get over yeah, it. Like once totally. <laughs> five, sometimes I do. And you know, I watched all of season five live on the air. Oh my god. Oh you did. It was was that the first time you've ever done that? Yeah, no. This isn't the first time. I've watched I've done that with every season of Fargo, that's for sure. Um I did I do that with certain shows that I want to say that I'm really truly invested in sharing that with my family, right? Mm-hmm. And I will sit and watch with the family. And because I really enjoy getting the feedback that way because they don't see it at all. As I'm, as I'm working. So I did that with Fargo. I did that with Legion. I've done it with Umbrella Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it with The Man Who Fell to Earth. You know, it really, ones that I can get the interest from my, from my family to watch, I, I, I do. But so, certain projects that I work on, they're not interested in watching because it's just not the thing that they would, that they would watch. And I, I don't always work on, on stuff that is something that, I would watch, you know, sometimes it's just about the story that I'm interested in telling, not about sure. the story that I'm interested in watching. A lot of times, you know, the kinds of stories that I like to watch, like I would never write the music for, um, <laughs> because it's just not, maybe it's just not the type of music that I do or not the, you know, not the thing that I'm that good at. That's interesting. I did want to ask about that because you've done work that kind of, uh, you know, spans a whole spectrum of different genres, but woven throughout that is a lot of science fiction, right? With Star Trek, Picard, Altered Carbon, Legion, For All Mankind. And I was wondering, like, are you attracted to that type of genre or did that just happen? And, or has it pulled you into that genre? Well, you know, it's really funny. What is science fiction? Like sure. you have to ask yourself that question. Like, what is it? In my mind, it's just drama, right? It's just drama set on a science fiction background, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's not comedy. I mean, sometimes it is. There, there have been science fiction comedies, but again, that's just a comedy. And then it's, you know, so... I, I do like science fiction, but I like drama. I like, hmm. um, sure. I don't, I don't like melodrama, which I always try to not do. So like, if you think about what's the difference between say Umbrella Academy and Star Trek, I, I Umbrella Academy is not necessarily set in the backdrop of science fiction, but more sort of heightened reality superpower thing. Yeah. I don't know that I consider that to be science fiction, but it's still just a drama, a family drama, you know, mm-hmm. and science fiction is just a drama that just could as easily be set on a ship in 1895. 
mm-hmm. right? Like just a boat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what I what I really enjoy doing is is telling emotional stories, stories that have emotional connectivity. And I like to play into that. I like to play into character interaction and I like to play relationships, um, you know, and, and between uh, relationships between characters, that's the stuff that's really interesting to me. Like how do characters interact? How do they react under certain circumstances? It's what I love about Fargo. You know, Noah's writing on Fargo is so detailed and so nuanced and Yet also, yes, there's this absurdity to it, but that absurdity still feels like, oh, the reason why I think this is funny is because this could be true. (laughs) That's what makes it funny to me. And, you know, those are the things that I really love to do. So, yes, there's a lot of science fiction intertwined in that, but there's a lot of science fiction because that is a very effective way to tell an emotional story and appeal to an audience that likes that sort of futuristic type thing. Absolutely. When you're working on uh, projects and you're talking about emotional stories, have there ever been any stories that really grabbed you that almost made work like difficult in a way or more emotional in a way for you personally? Yeah. The act. Um, Okay. So that story was hard to watch because the way the character was treated, it just was difficult. And because, and knowing it was a true story, like an actual true story, not like Fargo true story, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but like not a could have been true, but an actual, this actually happened to this person that made it difficult to watch. That made sure. it, sometimes I would turn off my screen and just, just write the music and then hope and pray that it worked. And it did. And yeah, so that has happened. Yeah, and I think with this season of Fargo, uh, episode seven, I believe it was, Linda had that uh, impact on a lot of people as well, just because of the domestic abuse kind of uh, side of that story. I think that was very difficult for people. It was one of my favorite and most hard-hitting uh, episodes for me with the marionettes. And, yeah, yeah. Seven, eight, seven, eight, nine. So yep. the uh, episode seven, eight, nine, uh, w- with 10 being the, you know, being the um, the sort of, emotional release of the of the of the show seven eight and nine were when it became its most heightened intention it's most heightened in really hard part of the story sure you know um and i agree with that to me although i love episode seven it's episode eight that I really sort of was like, oh, this is when the story gets really hard because yep. episode seven was told on the backdrop backdrop of a fever dream, right? Um, and so you you get the idea that this is the stuff that's happening inside. This is the emotions that are all sort of leaking to the surface in her. But in eight, what you see is the her reality, and mm-hmm. to me, the moment when when John Hamm gets out of the car and walks and, and we play our version of toxic, mm-hmm. um, you know, and yes, I fashioned the, the, the version of that song in a very deeply emotional way, not in a, not in a catchy way. It's a very catchy tune, obviously. Um, because I knew that we were telling his story at the time of doing that piece. I didn't know. And I don't think Noah did either that that was where we were going to use it. 
Um, yeah, let's talk about that since you brought it up. So you've done quite a few, uh, well, a handful of collaborations on the soundtrack of Fargo. Yeah. This was your second time, I, I believe, working with Lisa Hannigan, right? The uh, first being with Danny my, Boy? So for Fargo, yes, but yes. I worked with Lisa on on other things. We did Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds for the movie. Um, but yes, Danny Boy, Danny Boy was less of a collaboration and more of a, hey, Lisa, can you just sing a version of Danny Boy and send it to us? Okay. Really, it was just like, and then I just <laughs> put the note on it. You know what I mean? Like the, all I had to do was a single note. That was all it needed. Almost like that whistling portion you said in season one when we talked to you about Noah just sent you an iPhone of him whistling and you ended up having to put that whole ukulele bit to it. It was yeah. a kind of, that's a completely different uh kind of kind of thing yeah knowing how emotive that was going to need to be both noah and i were like well we got to call lisa you know what i mean like we knew we wanted that song noah knew he wanted that song okay and i was like oh wouldn't it be great if i did this kind of version of it and we'll call lisa and get her to sing um it'll be really evocative and he was like yeah that's exactly what we should do and that's that's what we did Oh, great. Great. We got the origin story. That's what I was after. I was going to say too, real quick, just as the, for the people we, we should, we, I do encourage anybody to go back and listen to our interview from season one. Cause there's a, there's some fun ground that we cover there. Cause uh, another thing that I think will tie into any of our future character or comments is I was curious from season one to now just to backtrack one quick second is that in season one, when we spoke to you, you talked about how early Noah was able to kind of started enticing you into these characters. And you, I remember you saying something like you had two, three months ahead of it where he was giving you just like nuggets of stuff. Has it been typically like that for you through the last additional four seasons where you've had a lot of time and some character development? And I feel like, I feel like you get a peek before some people even do about what's, what's up in Noah's noggin. Yeah, I I think so. I, I might be the first creative that he sends stuff to because he sends me scripts and I start sketching ideas for thematic material. And he sends me playlists of songs and he sends me vibe, you know, like what he's thinking of, what he's thinking of. Um, And then I start writing the process. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was working on season five for about 18 months. Um, Wow. Really? Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it takes. It's like, he sends me the first script I read it and I start thinking about what the music is going to be. Aside from like maybe your like long running relationship with your band Tonic, mm. uh, do you you know and and a lot of people may some people may not know Noah is a musician himself and was in a band in his past. Do you think that some of the collaborative things that work well work for you too because you're both kind of musically minded? Does that that like really help you too in having a language? As well? I mean, I, and, I definitely think like he speaks the language, right? So that makes it a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like he has a, he has a trust in me that I'm very fortunate to have. We sort of see eye to eye on how music is used in storytelling, you know? And yeah, I kind of feel like we're in a band. And, and by the way, we've made, we made a record together of all covers from Legion where he sang all the covers and, and, we we put all those covers in in Legion, you know, and we did one in season one, um, also, and we also did one in season three. We was did, the, yeah, go to sleep. Um, the world, well, go go to sleep, little baby, was in season one, um, and in season three, we did the world party song um, oh, yeah. at the end of episode six. 
six. I think it was the end of episode six or five. You know, so we we collaborate on music. Like we keep saying, "Hey, let's make some let's make some music." We're we're doing another project now, and you know, I, I keep saying, "Like, when are you going to be in L.A.?" Because he he doesn't live in L.A. Um, Is he still in Austin? He lives. Yeah, he still he still spends all of his time there. Um, and you know, we keep we keep saying, "Like, hey, when are we gonna?" When are we going to make another make another when record? Jam. <laughs> yeah. Are there people you've worked with uh, where prior to working with them you were uh, kind of awestruck or or maybe intimidated by or maybe a fan of that you were nervous about or anything like that? Yeah, of course. Um, Steve Zalian. Um, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the night of, which mm-hmm. was his, his show. I, Amazing! I love that Rizm and that show is just oh. yeah. I mean that show is incredible, and we just finished another project that's coming out in in April, um, and it's again it's as it's as incredible. I mean his ability to to see the story and to fashion it because you know, he directs all the episodes, he wrote all the episodes, <laughs> he does, and and that I've been working on that one for over two years, mm. um, you oh. know. Yeah. And it, it was one of those things where it was like, oh, okay, I'll be able to finish that before I even have to start Fargo. And that of course didn't happen. Like it all just mashed up on top of one another. I mean, the, you know, the pandemic didn't help any of this stuff, but no. Um, but I would say Steve, I would say Steve, my relationship with Noah began at the beginning of my career uh, this part of my career. And I think kind of at the beginning of his, you know, was his first show that he had done when he hired me. Um, his first show that was his, that he created mm-hmm. and, and was a showrunner. So I kind of feel like we're, our collaborative effort sort of grew with each other, you know, where Steve, you know, he made movies and directed movies and, you know, he, he actually directed one of my favorite movies of all time, which is um, searching for Bobby Fisher. And in knowing that he did that and worked with James Horner as his, as his um, main composer, I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, it's hard for me to step into those shoes for you. <laughs> um, but um, I would say he's the one. Was a little. Aw- I was awestruck first time I met him. I'm always thinking like, when's he going to fire me? You know, like, <laughs> oh when, gosh. You well, know. you have your own set of credentials, uh, Jeff. Oh. Thanks to you. <laughs> Thanks to you. Fargo is the most nominated show for the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Music Composition. Oh, well, um, that's Which is incredible. I've, yeah. Yeah. I've been nominated four times. All I mean, four times. Um, I, you know, maybe I'll keep the streak going. Like, who knows? Like, I don't know. I would be just as happy if it didn't happen. Like, I'm very proud of this season. It, you know, it's interesting. You know, I, I never want to say, like, this is my favorite season. But two was always my favorite. Two Season two seemed like everybody was just operating on full capacity. Everybody, all 12 cylinders rolling. Mm-hmm. Three was great, obviously. Four was, I think, under I think underappreciated. Um, because of when it came out and there was a lot of reasons, but after I watched this, this season, I'm like, Oh, I think maybe we've topped ourselves in terms of how good we can be on all levels, the acting, the writing, the directing, the music. Like, I really feel like everybody was just brought their a a their triple a game you know mm. you know i mean and I, I don't want you to have to feel like you say oh noah's my favorite but you have such a long-running collaboration with him now and if you 
you know, pay attention to the show, the stuff that Sharpie and I watch too. And you just look at half the team behind the show too. Dana Gonzalez helped in the cinematography and directing. And now his daughter's working on the show. And it's just like, it must be super incredible to have such a a strong team of people who seemingly like to continue to come together. You know, it's like, it's like trying to keep a band together. It's hard. It's hard. And obviously scheduling too, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because, you know, it's been 10 years and we've made five shows with five seasons. So it's like kind of every other year um, that we come back to it. But what I would say is, you know, when it, if it, if it's not broken, don't fix it. There's no real need to change it because it's really working the way the way the story is told. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot goes on behind the scenes that nobody ever sees. A of lot course. goes on. And there's ups and downs and all of a sudden, oh my God, that's not working. How are we going to fix that? And it, it's, it's, that goes for every production and every, every thing that you do. So it's interesting that we pull it off. Time and time again, like I feel like we pull it off. And I think this year we pulled it off even better than we have before. I agree completely. This year was something special. I'm also like directly in line with you on your opinion on uh, all the rest of the season. Season two for me was really something special. I do like them all. I do feel like season four was underappreciated. It could have been just the the world in general, like what was going on. Who knows? But uh, it was a fantastic season and season five. Absolutely. You guys knocked it out of the park. It was just so fun to be a part, a part, a part of. (laughs) Like we almost feel like we're part of the team in the universe. uh, One of my favorite things on this season was, uh, well, you've always create themes around characters, right? And one of the first ones I noticed was um, these sort of like breathy strings, these like growls whenever Ula is uh, shown on screen that was one of the first themes we talked about on the podcast. And I kind of want to get your take on how that came about. I mean, obviously he's this sort of big out of this world character. (laughs) What was the brainstorming process like in figuring out his sound? You know, Noah wanted it to sound like outside of the show, right? He wanted it to sound like something that we hadn't heard before in our show. So I kind of wanted to figure out what that meant. I didn't really know what, what that meant. Part of his part of the storytelling is horrific. I sort of went deep into horror movie music, you know? Okay. Um, And as I was messing around with a synthesizer, it was like, well, how does this sort of relate? I needed it to not be completely unrelated. So it was like trying to figure out how to relate something that's outside of the, outside of our, our vernacular to our vernacular. And so what I came up with was, you know, how do I take something that would melodically work and put it on some sound that is not from our show, which is when I sort of went to the more synthetic thing. That was really part of the brainstorming process, you know, and then I wrote that theme seeing an original opening of the show, which is not how we open the show anymore. You know, episode one's opening, there were a few different versions of that and what that was going to look like and what that was going to be. And one iteration of it started with him. And it was an interesting experiment. And I think Noah always knew that wasn't going to stick. But it definitely prompted me to really look into that thematic material. And that's, how, that's sort of when I began my sojourn into writing for Munch. Um, when I was writing 
the original themes, the first themes, all the themes I wrote at the beginning were all about Dot. Um, mm-hmm. And then then I moved from Dot to Lorraine. And then from Lorraine, I um, wrote stuff for John Hamm's character. And in that, I found that I, I had to let go of all of those in order to find Munch um, because Munch was just so different. Yeah. When Sharpie pointed it out to me and brought it up, generally when I watch the show the first time I'm planted in front of my TV and I've got an okay thing. And then maybe the second time I've got headphones on. So you start to hear just sort of the depth of some of your score and it's really fun. And he picked up on that. And the the closest, you're right, it was a little otherworldly comparatively. And the closest thing I thought it came to that it reminded me of when I was able to just listen back and really tune in was like in Breaking Bad in the cousin, you know, the cousins. Every time those two cousins appeared on that show, there was just that same like, like that draggy low drone that just you you kind of can't put your finger on it, but you know it makes you feel like weirdly uneasy. Well, I mean that was sort of also the idea here was how do I make it just feel all the unease um, because you just don't know what's happening with that person. Yeah, he's he's the mystery of the season sort of isn't he yeah i don't know that we ever really figured out we don't he's like don't a walking know. ufo yeah well said can we talk about tennis sure <laughs> we have a real penchant for like probably going too far with every episode watch and breakdown like we pause we look at shit in the background i mean i spent an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out what tennis match that was uh in like episode two or three i'm sorry i'm forgetting and then we noticed that it came back in the episode Linda. And then when we eventually look at the score and there's an actual tennis and drums. And of course, Sharpie and I get really excited anytime anything comes back to numbers and wrench because we just, we still love those, uh, that percussion. And I know you guys worked with the right, was it USC drum core for that? In well, you know, in season two, I worked with the, the, the drum core from USC. Yeah. Um, you know, the original piece of music, was written with me playing the drums. Like I, I wrote it and played it. Um, and then there was a night I had, then I had it where it was me and another drummer um, playing. And then I moved it over to, you know, the drum line and then it became more of a percussion uh, orchestral percussion version. Mm-hmm. And then there's always me sitting on a drum kit and playing. And, and that's where, that's where that sort of came from. Um, you know, dots, daughter plays drums in the show so we were trying to sort of merge the two together yeah we the thing we noticed too when i brought up and we had kind of a little bit of a breakdown on our show of us you know trying to read our own tea leaves but we noticed that this tennis back and forth noise was also very mimicked in the sound effects and i don't know to what level you're involved of like the knocking and hitting of the marionette puppets and there was just a lot of like back and forth and I mean, can you give us any insight into the tennis or is that supposed to be a secret or are we crazy? Sharpie and I are crazy because we were talking about it being the back and forth of characters and things. For me, it started because I was scoring a scene where in um, the house she's watching a tennis match and you hear the back and forth of the of the tennis of the tennis match. And mm-hmm. then. In the scene, we cut to Dot's kid playing drums, and it all sort of merged together. Mm. And that sort of gave me the idea, like, that sound of watching a tennis match is very hypnotic. 
So why can't I use that as a way to sort of hypnotize the audience um, mm-hmm. and and use that in the score? And then I did. And I, I used that in two ways. You know, I, I actually used the sound of the tennis match and then also um, used the sound of, of, and this is, you know, this might be getting a little too into the weeds, but I found sounds of bones uh, hit together. And I use that as a lot of percussion. So when you hear that, that's what, yeah, that's bone, that's bones hitting each other. Um, and that really began in Munch's theme. Um, and, but then I sort of expanded it to use pretty much everywhere because it worked so well. Yeah. You can get into the weeds with us anytime. Never worry about the weeds with us. We'll, uh, you'll never get deeper than we were. (laughs) Um, Thinking about that too, I have a quick question too about like, you know, you're working up these character themes. I noticed in some of season five uh, with Dot too that you had like these mixing bowl whisking noises that came into her. Yeah, I mean, such a big part of the show is is her wanting to make pancakes, you know, um, mm-hmm. and wanting to make stuff basically with Bisquick, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, I was like, oh, well, I recorded the sound of me whisking eggs and I use that in her theme, you know, and that that comes in and out of the whole score throughout the throughout the whole show. I I love that you're using these things that are just also, you know, you talk about the bones or the whisking and the mixing. It's just it's so interesting because I know like a few seasons ago you were kind of we I read about you talking about like, yeah, they let me do a whole thing with wood blocks. Yeah. Season three, we did a whole thing with wood blocks. And, you know, really what I try to do every season is I try to use sounds from within the show that can be evocative in the score. You know, in season one, it was the washer and dryer. It was the washing machine. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was really in season two, I used the sound of a typewriter. And in season three, I used the wood blocks. In season four, there there was the sound of credit card machines and vending mm-hmm. machines. Um, and, you know, in season three, I also used the sound of cars, car doors and windshield wipers. You know, it's it's all about trying to insert the sounds of the story into the score uh, as opposed to trying to just insert the score into the story. Um, so that that's sort of the idea that I, I try to enter every season with. I really love that you do that because if you watch the show and then listen to the soundtrack, as many of us do, you can, you can see it. You know, when you hear those sounds, it all comes rushing back in and it creates a much more dynamic experience just listening to the soundtrack. And, you know, the interesting part of that is as I'm writing that score, I'm seeing it before I see it, right? Mm -hmm. Because I usually, I write all that stuff. A lot of that material gets written before I ever see picture. So in that, I, I try to have... The story affects the music, but the music also affects how we're telling the story. So, which is why I like to create the music early. So then Noah gets an idea of what I'm thinking. I get those scripts. So I get an idea of what he's thinking. And how does that come together to create something that's bigger than the sum of its own parts? That's really how I think stories need to be told. Because the entire process of of telling narrative stories in, in, in this way television, film, you know, stage, video games, you know, it's all such a collaborative, a collaborative effort. If, if it's only like one person 
saying, this is what you're doing. This is how you're doing it. This is what you're doing. A lot of times what happens is you get lost in, in one point of view. And certainly what we need as collaborators in this, in this type of storytelling is you need the storyteller, the main storyteller to have a very specific point of view to help guide. Right. But you know, all of those things sort of come together to create something that's bigger than the whole of the original story. And that's, you know, when you, when you're, when you're really trying to make that work, it really does, it it really does make sense to start so early. So you have an idea of what that end result is going to be. We're kind of cherry picking a few pieces and songs here that, you know, we had a pretty good uh, joke early when that you kind of cut to that scene of Gator in his bedroom and he's like trying to bump himself up. Is that, is that kind of, you know, that Fargo metal was like, how do you get to a space like that? So you're sort of now out of that, like orchestral scoring. And are you just like drawing all your power from your, your rock band days? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's like one of those things where Noah calls me and he's like, look, we've got this moment where we're going to shoot Gator um, and he's going to be sitting in his room listening to some heavy metal. And they, you know, they, they talked about like licensing Metallica or licensing something. And I was just like, let's not do that. I'll just, I'll just write something and we'll see if that works. So I did. And yeah, that literally, I think that may have taken me all of 45 minutes to do. Right? <laughs> like, you know, and th- I'm not, I don't mean that as a humble brag. Yeah. I, I, I do that like, you know, that's me being able to just do all of the things that I've been doing my entire life. I was playing guitar, drums, you know, bass. And that was the music that I'd listened to when I was 12, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, Oh, that will be fun. And it was, it was fun. Like, but there's not, there's nothing too deep about that. You know, there's nothing except for the, you didn't have to go down the QAnon rabbit hole for that one. I didn't have to go go very far to, to be able to do that. I think I think that's why we noticed it, and it was just so fun for us because it just it fits so well. It was just such a rock jock pump up sort of <laughs> like right. jock jams, nineteen ninety two. That's exactly that's exactly what my what my inspiration was, jock jam. Because <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm listening to the song, and Sharpie is like noticing his tattoo that says "lol" and all these you know little things in the background, and we're just like. You go back and watch it the second time. You're like, "Fuck, this music just works." <laughs> you know, for whatever it's worth, what you were saying about you wrote it in like 45 minutes. You know, M- Maggie did tell us one time, season two, we were on with you, and you had to like check out for a second. She's like, "He works really fast." Yeah. But we also we also had that discussion, and you know, Sharpie and I both work in creative, and we say, you know, just because you come up with an idea fast doesn't mean it was easy. You spent 30 years figuring oh. out how to do what you do, yeah, right? Of course. Yeah. Even for people out there to just understand that it's like sometimes a good thing just freaking happens and, yeah. and you just got to You just go with it. And you're like, damn, nailed it. <laughs> and sometimes it takes weeks and days and hours, you know, or you work forever on it and then you end up throwing the whole thing in the garbage sometimes too. You're like, nope, <laughs> doesn't work. I've done it. You know, yeah, that happens. As I listened, you know, to the the score all on its own, it's always fun to hear it on their own and just like reference back after you've seen the show. And uh, it was fantastic. But when you get towards the end of that list with Fargo Metal and, <laughs> and tennis and but Strip Club, I also feel like I want to just ask about Strip Club because I listened to that all on its own and I literally was transported to like the Lords of Acid for some reason. That's funny. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Like that was another one of those things where... 
we needed a piece of music that needed to play in the background when the dude is at the strip club and the the different ones we were trying to um we were trying to license they just weren't working narratively and i was like you know mm-hmm. why don't i just try to write something that's going to work narratively as well like it'll have some relationship to what's happening as opposed to just figuring out like finding a piece of music so you know Again, that's another one of those things where I watched the scene and then just wrote a piece of music pretty quickly because I I, I just sort of understood like where did it need to dip down? Where did it need to come up? And how does it need to feel? And what would you hear in a strip club at that time in 2019? Because I don't know what you'd hear in a strip club in 2019. Um, So, you know, when it works, it works. Yeah. Um, And I get a phone call from Noah asking for that kind of stuff a lot. You know, when we did, I did an arrangement of Simple Gifts, which is in episode two. Mm -hmm. Um, Episode two? Maybe episode five. Yeah, it was episode two. Episode two. I was like, yeah, I'd love to do an arrangement of that, you know, traditional thing. And I had to write some new lyrics because it needed to be extended. Um, But that was fun too. get a choir in and, and do something like that. You know, a lot of times for me, the fun that I get to have in Fargo is not just about writing the storytelling music, but Mm -hmm. to sometimes do something fun like a metal tune or, you know, a strip club song or a, a, you know, a Christian hymn, you know? Yeah. I will fact check us. That was episode three. I don't want to, I will get, (laughs) Jeff, I will get emails if I didn't correct that. Right. So I'm like, sometimes you're wrong. I, sometimes I forget like what what episode things are because it's like they move sure. around. We move stuff around. It's like that strip club scene might have originally been in episode four, but then ended up in episode five. You know, because they in editing they just move stuff around. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got to let you get back to your 47 other projects yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick. <laughs> will you be working on Aliens? I've already started. Yes, and will there be a Fargo season six? That is an uh, it's unanswerable question for me. Okay. Like, you know, I think that what, what Noah always says to me is if there's a story to tell, there's no reason why he wouldn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that for him, he just, if he comes up with something that he thinks would be a good story to tell in that, in that world, I think he'd want to do it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Amazing. And thank God they let us do that, right? Yeah, like, no kidding. That the people on high say, yeah, go ahead, tell that story, here's some money. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, FX is great at that. Yeah, they are, they are. And and they're very, you know, apparently they're great partners. You know, I, I don't really know what goes on at that level. <laughs> I, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm way farther down the line from that. Um, but I'm always in awe that they keep, saying to me like yeah let's do that again (laughs) you know amazing um, yeah i actually forgot one question that i was curious about um and it it was one of those moments in episode 10 where something felt familiar for me and so of course you have to sort of like in mid-show you like shazam it and yeah and you brought back the orchestra for nikki during the the final episode and it was sort of that as we're leading into that tunnel and there is the twist of the camera and I mean, and it carried all the way out, sort of the rabbit hole. It was there, was there a, like a, an intention behind that that you can kind of tell us about? Or was it just like, fucking sounds good? Yes. We've used that piece of music in a number of places. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a finality 
to it. And all at the same time, not only is there a finality, but there is something very uneasy and yet very beautiful about it to us. So in thinking about what we were going to use there, um, I, I had written a piece of music that it did. It just didn't get there to, to the point that that piece of music does. And that we've run into that a few times where it's like, we're not trying to cross the streams. We're not trying to deliberately connect anything, but we, what we are trying to connect is the feeling that you get in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that piece of music really did, um, it brings me right there and it brings Noah right there. So that's why we, that's why we have brought that piece of music back. There are a number of things. It's just like bringing wrench and numbers back in different ways too. So in the end, what I did was I did a re sort of imagining of what that piece of music is. Um, and then reworked it into that part of the show. Oh, that's awesome. Cause I just, I mean, even when you talk about writing for, characters over the course of these shows. I mean, Nikki Swango was such a, I I don't know. She she was just so fantastic to watch Mary Elizabeth Winstead. The only role I got super sad about super fast was I've said it on our show before was like, ah, Scoot McNary. We were barely in here. I'm sorry about that air conditioner, (laughs) but (laughs) I've loved him on so many other shows, but you know, that's the Fargo world. You know, somebody's you're going to, they're going to die and you're going to be like, what the fuck was that? You always start, you know, whenever I start reading that first script, I always ask my question that I always ask the question, who's going to be the one who's going to be the one? Cause there's always mm. at least one person who you just don't want to die who will always. Yep. And, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen in this one until I got to see it was until I was reading the script for episode 10, you know, because I always tell, no, I was like, don't ever tell me what's happening. I want to read it or want to see it. Um, and, uh, you know, so I always ask, I always ask that question, you know, and I asked that question in one and I didn't know. I didn't wow. know. How did you feel overall when you get to that point, that just giant smile and that bisquick moment at the end? Where, I mean, there are so many people that have written to us and talked to us about how satisfying it is. And I, I think ending any season of any show is an immaculately hard thing to do because it's the internet age and no one's happy. Everyone's freaking angry about shit. I it was so satisfying. It is the thing I love about how we how we tell this Fargo story is that every season has a beginning, middle and an end. So, you know, the the thing that I don't like necessarily as much about episodic television as I do in the limited series world is that in episodic television, you have to try to continue the story, mm-hmm. you know, of the characters. It's one of the hardest things that I deal with in Star Trek. It's like having to figure out, like, how do I tell this story with these characters continually? And, you know, which is why, even though I don't want a show to end, when they do end it satisfactorily, I feel fulfilled. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, good. I want to move on. I want some, I want the story to have something to say. And then, okay, we've said it. And that's the thing that I love so much about, um, about Fargo and the way we tell the Fargo story. And what was particularly interesting about how we ended this season, which was 
kind of, you know, I, I feel like it had a lot more of the same ethos in terms of how we felt at the end as we did in season one, which is, you know, we have that moving, ca- that shot moving camera inside of, um, of the, of the house in, in season one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of had, it gave me the same feeling. They weren't similar, similar stories or similar, even similarly told stories, but where it, what it felt like at the end of season one and what it felt like at the end of season five was very similar, you know? Absolutely. Last question. Sharpie's like, what could you possibly have to ask now? (laughs) The band's got to (laughs) go. Do you eat biscuits with your chili? (laughs) I love biscuits with my chili. I do. do. I love biscuits. Biscuits are, biscuits are a comfort food for me. Always happy. We, that's been our topic of, of a few things is, what do you do with yours, you know, like cornbread or Fritos or uh, or up here, if you got a bowl of chili at a restaurant, it would just come with a side of like two saltine crackers or some that kind By of thing. By the way, all of those things are great. Cornbread. Sure. Yes, absolutely. As much as we love your music and we appreciate you, we mostly needed to know. <laughs> that's, the real, that's the stuff you really want to know. I get it. We need to know that the Russo household. <laughs> you got chili. Your mate, the Bisquick does just make its way out of the cupboard. Yeah. It does. Jeff, it's your third appearance on this show. Uh, you're officially a friend of the show. Uh, yeah. so I, I feel very connected to you guys. We'll get you a jacket. Uh, <laughs> uh, anything you want to plug right now for our millions and millions of listeners? People should watch Ripley. I, I it, Ripley is that Steve's Alien show that mm-hmm. I did. Yep. I mean, it'll be on Netflix in April. And it's okay. really great. It's the, you know, it's, it's the story of, of um, the talented Mr. Ripley. And it's, it's really, it's really... It's dark, but it's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see to Andrew Scott in that. He's great. I'm excited. Excited to see the show. Excited to hear what you do with it. And and we really can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day. And uh, thank you very much to your team as well for getting back to us at Rhapsody. And it's just fantastic. We're, we're, we're glad you could take the time to speak with us today. Thanks a lot, Jeff. We'll see you in 10 years. Thank you very much. All right. Great chat with Jeff Russo. Always a pleasure to talk to that guy. Uh, that was so fun. We've got some really good insight into his process into other projects um what'd you think bill so fun to be able to chat with him and hear about how things are going on i'm so sure that people tuning in are probably wondering why didn't you ask this why don't you do that but it was hard there's just so much to cover that we kind of had to pick and choose and cherry pick some things um we've easily got three to four hours of things we want to ask about but these are busy folks i mean jeff's got like 16 projects right now it's insane Uh, I don't know how you keep them all straight and I don't know how you keep them sounding different. You know, when you're working on multiple different projects at the same time, it's very impressive. I think it's incredibly impressive. I think it also is probably just an incredible testament to Jeff's professionalism and his ability to just get to the heart of things. I just, God, you look at his breath of work. If you go to IMDb and look up Jeff Russo, you're going to be like, what the hell? How? When does he sleep? What's he do? Yeah. And what's crazy is we started talking to him kind of at the beginning of this part of his career. And it's been 10 years now. And it's really exploded the amount of stuff he's been up to. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty cool thing for us, I think. Yeah. I feel, you you know, in the podcast, you were even like, we're on the team. We feel like it because <laughs> yeah. I even remember watching like For All Mankind when it first came out and I saw his name in the credits and I was like, 
It's like it's like the Will Ferrell moment. You're like, Santa, I know him. I feel like that when I see Jeff's name in the credits of any of a multitude of shows I've watched since 2014. Yeah, one that I didn't even realize was Waco, which I loved that miniseries, and I had no idea he was a part of that. Sure enough, he was the composer. Okay, so here, as we close out our episode for our Fargo, you know, because we get... <laughs> But dude, we have been still getting like, what are you? What other show are you two gonna do? And I was like, until you can get a hold of Sharpie, there is. We're gonna <laughs> Fargo talks. Fargo is our show. Let's do a. Like, can you like? I'm putting you on the spot here. Like, do you have a favorite Jeff Russo? You should go listen to like thing. Like, is Waco yours? Like, I didn't see that yet. Oh, Waco is excellent. Yeah. Um, really good. And then there's a follow up show after that. Okay. That's your recommendation if for well, Paula no, Joe? that's not my recommendation. I mean, I really liked Altered Carbon. It was canceled after two seasons, mm-hmm. which makes me sad. Uh, that was a good show. Um, let's go with yours. Uh, mine, mine. If I was going to send somebody else to watch another fantastic show, uh, it would be The Night of the TV mini, the 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 one season show uh, from HBO. If you get a chance to go watch that, I would highly recommend it. It's also another show that he worked on, as he mentions in the podcast you just listened to with Steve Zalian. Uh, Riz Ahmed is amazing in it, and if you, this is partially, I'm giving it the Fargo talks, Fargo Cohen Brothers connection. It also stars another than John Turturro. So there's mm-hmm. even a connection to the sort of Fargo Coen Brothers universe there. Alter Carbon was good. And that, you know what? Small World, also a connection from that show to one of his other shows. For All Mankind. For All Mankind, uh, Joel, yep. Joel, Joel Kinnaman is in both of those shows. Mm-hmm. So there, we hooked people up with a couple. If you want to listen to the the awesomeness that is Jeff Russo, Go check out those two two series. There's plenty to be out there. And he said Ripley coming up. So stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Well, Sharpie, until uh, should we hang hang it up one more time until somebody else emails us back and we maybe pop out another special episode? Absolutely. Stay subscribed. All right, Sharpie. Thanks, bud. Smash that like. Smash that like. What is this, YouTube? <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk to you later. All right. Later. Bye now.